Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Question came to my mind as to, you know, what is, what is important in the Christian life and, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of things that we could maybe have as a list of, you know, this is what's important. And, um, but the, the question really drove me uh, to Revelation chapter number three. And it's a text here that uh, I'm going to take just for this month of January as a, uh, as a topical uh, way of looking at a few things, and uh, I want to show you what this text is, and then I'm going to give you a, a thing that I, I think that we could learn from and hopefully continue to practice in our own uh, Christian walk. But um, here's the text. It's Revelation chapter 3, and uh, verses 1 through 3. And our Lord here is addressing some churches specifically about some of the things that they have been involved with, what they're doing, and this is almost kind of like a report card. And uh, he's giving them a report as to really the state of the condition that they are in. And it says here, "...and the angel, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God..." And the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it. And repent, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. One thing we must remember is that reputation is not always the reality. This church in Sardis had a reputation for being alive. I'm sure on the outward They looked like they had it all together. They had everything going for them. But the spiritual reality of their condition was that they were dead. Now this could have been because they were just spiritually coasting through life. Maybe it was the fact of, hey guys, we finally arrived. We we got where we need to be at. And let's just put it in neutral and start coasting. I've been there. I know what that's like. I think that's a great opportunity for spiritual apathy to set in, where, as what Jesus said, that your works are neither hot nor cold, but you're just lukewarm, and you're just kind of going through uh, their spiritual life. Or maybe they were just blind to the reality of their actual spiritual condition. It's, you know, many times it's hard for me to see in my own life really what's wrong spiritually with me because I'm blinded by my own sinfulness, as we all are. 
So here is this church. Their appearance is showing that they're full of life. There's a lot of things going on at this church. This is really what it's like to be at the church at Sardis, the corpse church that thinks it's just doing just fine. Notice how deceived they are. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. They were very deceived into their spiritual condition of what they thought they were doing. What would Jesus be saying to us today? What would he be saying to the church in America? There's no real spiritual life in them at all. They're just kind of coasting. They just kind of just put it in neutral. They're deceived. Wake up, Sardis. Wake up. Jesus told his church to strengthen what remains. Look what he says here. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. You know, all of us have had times of spiritual apathy or spiritual dryness in our, in our lives. And it's at these times that we need to revitalize those things and strengthen what remains. It could be that you're at a point in your spiritual life that, you know, it just seems like things are just not where they should be. What are the words that Jesus tells us to do here? To strengthen what remains remains. And we need to revitalize that. And how do we get there? With spiritual truth and get a breath of fresh air in our spiritual lives. And so I want to seek to give us a few biblical truths about some things that I think it's important for all of us to address in our lives um, that many times we allow to become very complacent or apathetic. And if we were to address the true reality of our spiritual condition, there's a couple things that must take place. First, we need to examine ourselves. That's very important as a believer in Christ, is that you're continually examining yourself, always judging yourself. And we need to examine ourselves in the presence of the Holy Spirit and in the light of God's Word. I have found many times that through the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, He will precisely deal with our hearts with what really is the problem. This church at Sardis didn't recognize the problem. They had the reputation of being alive, but Jesus says, but you are dead. And so when we allow God and his word to deal precisely with us, it gets really to the root, the heart issues of our life. And so if we're going to be a church that doesn't just have a reputation of life, but is actually alive, then we are going to have to make sure God's word and his presence are a priority in our lives. It's not just something that we talk about but it's something that we actually do, something that we actually exercise in our lives. The second thing we need in order to see the true reality of our spiritual condition is the correction and rebuke of others. This is so important. Here is Jesus, and he's actually rebuking this church. I need your rebuke. You need my rebuke. I need your correction. You need my correction. All of us in here need it. And this is what is so important to be a part of a family 
a church, a family, is that we have the fellowship with each other, and not in the fact that we're being nitpicky, but in the fact of we are strengthening what remains in each other's lives. We're pointing out things that we may see our brother or sister going astray and lovingly trying to bring them back uh, to our Lord. And so it's real important to say that. Ecclesiastes reminds us it is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. You know, truth hurts. But if we are going to be a church that is alive and not merely putting on a good show, then all of us as believers need to be speaking the truth in each other's lives. And so Jesus tells us this remedy for this. Strengthen what remains, remember what you received and heard, keep it and repent. And so this morning we're going to talk about the importance of an area I think is important for us to strengthen what remains, to keep it, to receive it, to repent, and that's the matter of confession. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Strengthen what remains by remembering why confession is important. So turn with me over to uh, 1 John. And here in 1 John, we are given this understanding, this look at a few things of, of confession and the importance of it. And, you know, it's important to note that as human beings, we must not deceive ourselves into thinking that we have no sin. Because actually, First uh, John deals with that in verse number 8, and he says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, if you know Christ as your Savior, we are not exempt from sinning. We, we still do sin. Uh, but these are some of the promises that we're going to look at here this morning of why confession is so important. It will not be until Jesus Christ returns and we're given a glorified body that we will be saved completely, totally, from the very presence of sin. So until that time happens, we're still going to struggle in sin. There's an old saying that says, when the telephone of sin comes ringing, you don't have to pick up and answer it. As a Christian, we have the power to say no to sin because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but we still struggle in sin and we still are deceived by sin. So we must all come to a reality that our sin leads us astray. It, it binds us, it blinds us, it tries to diffuse the darkness and tries to make us in love with darkness that it diffuses. At the judgment, God will unravel all this untangled mess that we are uh, involved in and the excuses, our failures, all of them will be laid open before God before his penetrating gaze, all of them will be exposed. And as a son of the king, you as a son or a daughter of the king, we have an obligation to live as one of his own. And so if you have been saved, then live like a child of God. And so for me and you to come to a place of worship, to worship with other believers... And for me not to take serious the gravity 
of unconfessed sin is in a sense very blasphemous to God. Because what are we doing? We're just going just like that church at Sardis. We have a reputation of being alive, but yet really we're dead. And we come to a place like this and we sing the songs and we enjoy the fellowship. But if we're harboring unconfessed sin in our hearts, are we really alive? No. We're just kind of going through the things. For me to have cherished sin in my own heart and feel as if I can have a healthy relationship with God is absurd. For me to think that I can have secret and hidden sin in my life and know it's wrong but really not that big of a deal, I have been blinded and duped and bonded to darkness. You see, God's Word tells us to examine ourselves. We, are, we should always be looking inside and taking account of our personal relationship with Christ. And if we are not going to live with this false reputation of being alive, but really dead, then we need to remember to confess our sins. And so let's just take a few moments and unpack this verse within its context as we find here in First uh, uh, John This letter that John wrote is speaking to those who know Christ as their Savior. And throughout the letter, John is trying to show the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, then you have an assurance that your sins have been forgiven. You have an assurance that you know Him. There's an assurance that we have eternal life because we confess Christ as our Savior. And throughout this letter, we have this this remembrance and this reminder of our relationship with Christ. And remember, that's one of the things that Jesus tells us to do. Remember what you have received. Keep it. Remember. And so let's take note here about our confession here, beginning here in verse number 5. Look what it says. God is light. This is the message we have heard from Him. And proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. You see, we should confess our sins because God is light. Notice what John says about this characteristic of God here. Because he is light, it is the reason why this is a tremendous message of what has been proclaimed. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Light, throughout God's Word, is frequently associated with God uh, in His Word. It tells us in Psalms 104.2 that light is His covering. It says, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. In Daniel 2.22, we see that light abides with him. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. In Habakkuk 3.4, he abides in it. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. He is the source of all light. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He calls his children to dwell and walk in light, 1 Peter 2.9, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children 
of the light, Ephesians 5, 8. Our Lord claimed to be light in John 8, 12, light of the world. His life was light in John 1, 4. In him was life and the life was the light of men. But in our text here is what we see here. It is said to be the very essence of God, his character. He is light. God is light. You know, in a way, this almost seems kind of juvenile to discuss this because we can all agree that God is holy, right? That God is just, that God is righteous, that God is pure, God is truth. So why does God have to remind us that he is light? Because many times, all of us create a God who is okay with darkness, with deceit, uncleanliness, untruthfulness. Many times I allow sin to take part in my life because I think that God has allowed something bad in my life, and so therefore it's okay to, you fill in the blank, Of all the material things, light is the best way to describe something that is set forth as truth and holy. It unites itself with purity, cleanliness, beauty, glory. So when we put this verse within its context, and we see that if we're going to be confessing our sins, and we see that God is light, God is trying to get us to see that there are conditions to his cleansing and forgiveness. If we confess our sins, verse number 9 tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we are going to be alive and not spiritually dead, confession is vital for us to be alive. And if we are going to be confessing our sins, we must recognize that God is light that he is holy. And so if we are going to strengthen what remains, remember God is light and God is holy. Let's look at a second thing here. Verses 6 and 7, so we say this, uh, this is the message we've heard from him, proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And because of that, because God is light, verses 6 and 7 just kind of flow directly out of that. And they flow from the very source of light, God, and shows us the condition and the consequences of our fellowship with the light. And so if we're going to strengthen what remains, building off of what we remember about who God is, there's now a practice that should happen from that. And it's a keeping of that truth. What is it? It's fellowship with the light, a relationship with the light. Look what he says here. If we say we have fellowship with him, who? The light. While in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Take note of that. If I say that I have fellowship with God, if I say I have fellowship with man, then to walk in darkness 
is to live in the practice of sin. It's a lie, not only of our lips to say that I have fellowship with him, but it's a lie of our life because we are not practicing truth. We're not practicing light, purity, cleanliness, etc., etc. Because we say that we know the light, but yet we're not practicing that. We're walking in darkness. See, our lives should be brought into harmony of the truth because truth is not just spoken, it's lived out. It's represented. It's not just something that we say. Here's that church at Sardis. They had the reputation of being alive. But really, what was there? Death. See, we all like to compartmentalize our lives, don't we? Areas that we say, okay, God, this is totally open for you. But over here... Let's not talk about that. Let's keep that closed. That, that part's not open for you, God. And he says, if we say that we have fellowship with the light, if we say that we have this fellowship, but yet we're walking in darkness, we're practicing sin. Secondly, to walk in light is to live in fellowship with one another. Look what he says here. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It is, in a sense, a way to identify with the source, the light. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we have fellowship one with another. We should have fellowship one with another. Because we're all part of the same source, the light, God, who he is, what he's done for us. And so for us to not have fellowship with one another, do we truly know the light? Are we actually living in light? Are we walking in darkness? If we could sum up the statement John says, walking in the light in a single word, it would be best described as holiness. We don't become holy by doing religious things. I think that's what this church in Sardis was so deceived by. They had the reputation of being alive. I'm sure if you looked at everything that they did, they probably did a lot of things. They probably had a food pantry. They probably went out and blessed the widows. They probably had a lot of things that they did, reputation-wise. We don't become holy by doing religious things. We become holy by loving God. Loving Him more, spending time with Him, getting to know Him, allowing Him to have an influence in our lives, to change us from the inside out. Ephesians 1.4 says that we should be holy and blameless before Him. We are to be holy before Him. Actually, this means we are to be holy under His penetrating gaze. That is, when God looks at us, he looks through our facade that we so easily put on for others and sees us on the inside. He sees our hearts and our motives. And this holiness that we are supposed to be doing, it's organic. It's never satisfied with the status quo. It's not just putting our lives in spiritual uh, neutral and just coasting. 
It's pressing on to the goal of the high price calling of Christ Jesus. It's always advancing, saying, I need to know God more. I need to have him deal with me more. I'm not satisfied with just the way that I am. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And so this leads me to a third thing that I find that is tied to our relationship with the light To walk in light allows us to have fellowship with God. You see, we experience a daily cleansing of our sin. This is our sanctification process. Because notice what he says. We have fellowship with one another. If we are walking with him, we're walking in the light. He says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice John did not write... The blood of Jesus, his son, cleansed us, past, nor the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse us, future, but the blood of Jesus, his son, is cleansing us from our sin. So it's this process, this daily process that God is doing in us. He's cleansing us, a continual cleansing of our sin, and don't we need it? As we walk through this world, you know what happens? We get very dirty. And we need a constant cleansing of our sin. This is why confession is so important. That we are confessing to God things that we do, things that we think, things that we participate in. And it's a a daily confession. So it's important to understand this because if we're going to strengthen the things that remain, if we aren't walking the light, we're not experiencing the daily cleansing that comes with that. We may have the reputation of being alive, but Jesus really knows what's going on in our hearts. And so we need to have that relationship with the light. Here's the last thing. We come to this verse here in verse number 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if we're going to strengthen what remains, Jesus told the church at Sardis to remember what we received and heard, keep it, and repent. What exactly is it to confess our sins? What does that mean? Does that mean that we go into a box somewhere and talk to somebody behind a closed door? No. It means that we lay our hearts open before God. And we're sincere. We're vulnerable. We express to Him and tell Him exactly what He already knows that's in our hearts. And so it must be personal in particular. You know, you think, you wonder, if God already knows everything, right? Remember remember back in the garden when Adam and Eve had sinned? God knew that they sinned, but here comes, here comes God, comes walking in the garden, and he's calling out to Adam, 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 where are you? Did God know where Adam was? Yes. Did he know that he was hiding? Yes. Did he know that he sewed fig leaves together as a covering? Yes. Did he know what Adam did? Yes. Why, the, why all the, the, the questions then? 
Why does God want us to confess our sins? It's not because God needs to know what they are. It's because he wants us to sense and have an understanding of how dark our sins really are because we are in the presence of light. He wants us to feel the weight and the gravity of really what they are. It's darkness. It's deceitfulness. God wants us to confess our sins. He wants us to know how terrible they really are. Because our sin is an attack upon his character. He is light. And there is no darkness in him. And so he wants me to see my sin for what it really is. Darkness, deceitfulness, unholiness, uncleanliness. He wants me to come to a place in my life that I see him as holy and my sin as unholy. And so when I cherish sin in my heart, I desire to walk and live in darkness, rather enjoy fellowship with God and other believers. So confession of our sins is more than just a mere telling them to God. True Bible confession involves self-examination, godly sorrow, humbling of our heart, penitence, and repentance. And so the real question to ask is, do I see my sin as disgusting as God sees it? Am I angry and disgusted with my sin? Do I have as much hatred towards my sin as God does? And see, until I see my sin for what it is, darkness, uncleanliness, unholiness, true confession and cleansing will not be a part of my life because I don't see any problem really with it. And I really haven't come to an understanding of the fact that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But to those who confess their sins, notice some really awesome aspects of this. And this is part of this strengthening what remains, right? And it's about to die. If we confess our sins, notice what he says here. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is life. This is real. And if we confess our sins, notice a couple things here. There is forgiveness. A consequence of genuine personal confession of our sins is forgiveness. True forgiveness. He releases us from the spiritual penalties and he sets us free from their guilt and delivers us from condemnation. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 38.17, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness... But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. Isaiah 44, 22, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. But secondly, there is a cleansing from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We already looked at verse number 7 about this daily sanctification process that we're going through as we are walking in the light, having fellowship with the light. There's a daily cleansing that's happening. But here it tells us that we are spiritually cleansed, clean. When I was uh, in college, 
my grandfather and, and grandmother were going to be selling their house that they built in Texas, and they moved it to Albuquerque, New Mexico, that, like back in the 60s, okay? So my grandpa made a foundation for this thing, had a little crawl space underneath it, and they moved the house and just set it right there on the top of the foundation. So when they went to go sell the house, the realtor, my grandpa was telling him about, oh, you know, we moved the house, whatever, and the realtor said, well, did you, how did you secure the house down? My grandpa said, I didn't secure the house down. Now, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, we don't have tornadoes. There's not a lot of uh, high winds or things like that. So the house was not going anywhere, okay? But in order for him to sell the house, he had to secure the house down to the foundation. So that meant me and my dad crawled underneath this crawl space that probably hasn't seen the light of day since 1963, okay? And there we were crawling through the dirt on our bellies with a rope and a bucket, dragging brackets, screws, and a, and a drill. And so we went around that house. You know, we put the bolt in, tighten it down, tighten it down. And we spent all this time under there. We came out. I tell you what, I had, I, I had a white shirt on when I came out. It was brown and black. I mean, it was disgusting and filthy, right? I mean, it was so bad. I was just like, man, I can't wait to get home to take a shower and be clean, right? You think about this, that we are cleansed from all of our unrighteousness, the filthiness that we've been a part of. God wants to spiritually cleanse us and make us clean before him. Here's the last thing. It's a personal guarantee. I love this. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. God lays out for us that he promises us to do this because of his character. He's faithful. He's just. How do we know that he's faithful and just? Just because he says so? No. Because he is light. He's truthful. He's pure. And we can rest upon that because he is light. And there is no darkness in him whatsoever. So we have the greatest reasons here for us to continue in confession of our sin. A great proverb reminds us, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So what about you? What about this church as a collection of believers? Do we have the reputation of being alive? Are we spiritually dead? Are we just kind of coasting through our spiritual life, kind of in neutral, spiritually apathetic? Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember what you have received. Keep it. Repent. And these are the words that Jesus wants us to know. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.